Welcome everyone to Celtic Preacher Podcast 84 and today we're looking at the topic of temptation or you could you could say testing times of temptation times of testing and I think that we when we think about temptation we often think about being tempted to do something you shouldn't do but I think it's equally valid to say that temptation is also avoiding something that you should say or do. You know, many, many relationships are damaged and lost because of avoidance. Many relationships are lost and damaged because of denial or minimizing a situation. So it's not just about, when we talk about temptation, it's not simply, you know, wanting to do something you shouldn't do. It may well be avoiding something that would be beneficial to you in some way. And we're going to be, I'm going to start off by looking at the text here, which is in Matthew 4. It's actually Jesus' temptation. We're using this as our guide. And in this morning's text, we we find Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. So if we're looking at this in chronological order, he is just beginning his three-year ministry, only ministered for three years, only uh, taught and all the miracles, all the healings, all the gathering of the disciples, only everything was completed in three years. So this is at the very, very front end of his ministry. He's just been baptized, he, which we looked at a few weeks back. He's fully committed to following his father's will, God's will. And he commits himself to this ministry and we find him led into the desert, into the wilderness, where he's tempted to take control, not trust his heavenly father, and use his power and his influence and his gifts without the guidance and the wisdom of God. Now, before I get into Jesus' story here, I do want to stress that when we speak about temptation, when we speak about the desert experience, to use that metaphor, We are speaking about a universal experience. So this is not simply a story that happened thousands of years ago uh, that won't happen to us. Every one of us will go through times of challenge. We will go through times of suffering and grief and loss. Everyone will experience the wilderness, the barren, dry, lonely places. Now, we will not be tempted or tested in exactly the same way as Jesus, but we're going to be tempted and we're going to be tested. Jesus, we'll see, was tempted to turn stones into bread. He's been fasting. He's going to fast for 40 days. He's hungry. The tempter comes to him and says, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Well, that's not going to be our temptation, is it? Right? That's not going to be our temptation. But to use our power, whatever we have, and we all have power, to use our power and to use our influence in inappropriate ways, oh yeah, 
very, very common temptation. Happens all the time. I think that any desert experience that we go through, any kind of suffering, shows us something about ourselves. It certainly doesn't give God any new information, right? God doesn't need any information. God knows us. But any time of suffering or any kind of want or need or desire shows us something about ourselves. Times of transition can be difficult and show us something about ourselves. And like I said, change, loss, grief, common things like that. Or times where we feel blocked in some way. Have you ever had that experience where you just can't seem to move ahead? You want to. You want to get on and do something, but you can't quite. You're restricted. That can also be a desert experience uh, where temptation's experienced. So in the passage this morning, Matthew 4... I'm not going to read the whole thing. If you want to read it, it's in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. But I will point out a couple of things of interest. That the, temp the, the tempter's voice or the devil's voice or the adversary's voice is reasonable. As was the serpent's voice in the very, very first temptation story, which was in Adam and Eve, Genesis 3. So if you were to read the Adam and Eve, the first temptation story in Genesis 3, and then you read the Matthew passage, which was written thousands of years later, of course, you're going to find some parallels to these two narratives. And one thing I noticed is, is that the, the tempter's voice is reasonable, as was the serpent's voice in the first temptation story with Adam and Eve. Why don't you take the apple? Why not? You know, why don't you eat the fruit? If we wouldn't consider doing or not doing something, it wouldn't really be a very enticing temptation. So what I'm suggesting is, is that oftentimes... Uh, temptation sounds like a reasonable idea. But we can rationalize it very, very easily if we decide to go that way. So when we look at Jesus' temptation in the desert and when we look at Adam and Eve's experience in the garden, both accounts give us a lot of insight into the nature of of temptation in our own lives. Now again, remember, temptation isn't always about doing something wrong, you know. Um, many people are held back emotionally and spiritually, not because they're doing something wrong. It's because they've avoided making a change that deep in their heart of hearts, they knew should have been addressed. I mean, it's so easy to avoid something that causes us inner conflict. So back to Jesus. It's at the beginning of his ministry. He's been baptized. So there he is. His heart and mind is set on following the will of God. And right at the beginning, right at the beginning, the temptation comes. 
right at the start, when the intention is set, the struggle is at its peak. Now, there's something to this. It's just something for you to ponder. There's something about when you decide to make a change or begin something new, set your intention, oftentimes it's at the front end that the struggle is at its peak. I mean, even a silly thing like trying to lose five pounds, right? That's not that important in the scheme of things, right? But you'd be surprised. That's when you want your crisps, right? Yeah, of course. So, temptation. It has its cycles. It has its peaks and its lows. Why? I'm not sure. I haven't really thought about the whys of it, but I have noticed that it seems to be seasonal almost. It's, it's highs and it's lows. So the first temptation, verse 3. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves. Again, Jesus is in the desert. He's fasting. He's hungry. He's praying. He's seeking God's way. And the tempter says, hey, you know what? God helps those who help themselves. In other words, now that's just a paraphrase there. God helps those who help themselves. Are you sure this is a good idea? Maybe, maybe you should take some control back. Why don't you're starving? Use your power and have do a miracle. Eat something. Turn the, turn the stones into bread. And in each temptation, Jesus is invited to turn away from his trust in God. In each one. Each time, it's go solo. Be self-sufficient. You can do this. Same thing happens with the next two temptations. Next, Jesus says, tempted to throw himself off the temple roof in verse 5. And the devil says, don't worry, God will protect you, won't he? You know? Again, the underlying temptation is, Jesus, are you sure that God can be trusted? Are you sure God's faithful? And again, in the third temptation, he's promised power and glory and success if he gives his allegiance and devotion to the tempter. Now, again, we're not going to be tempted in exactly the same way. However, we will be tempted to, to doubt that God will help us. There's a very, very common, common temptation. You'll be tempted to doubt that God can help you. Maybe God can help others, but not you, for whatever reason you make up. We will be tempted to wonder if God can truly be trusted and will be tempted to be self-sufficient. You see, self-sufficiency was, in some ways, Adam and Eve's problem way, way back. The first temptation story. It's like, we can do this ourselves. We know what's best. We know what's best. And the problem with self-sufficiency is, is, that, is that we're not. We're not, you know. Remember the first temptation, the, the God said, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Help yourself to whatever else you want, but don't touch that tree or don't eat the fruit of that tree. It's interesting because, you know, in the garden, even in the garden, they're like, mm, 
there's a even in the Garden of Eden in Paradise, there's this almost like this they're incomplete in some way. They're insufficient, aren't they? They're they're wondering, why not? I mean I want that. That's that's what I want. And of course the tempter says, Yeah, go, eat it. Go take that fruit. God's holding out on you. And so Eve goes and takes the fruit and gives some to Adam and yeah. It's it's really about not not trusting in God. It's like, no, I think I know what's best here. I think I do want that the fruit from that tree. You know, it was Blaise Pascal that once described the essential condition of humanity as having a God-shaped hole. It's like something's missing. Some I'm wanting for something. You know, the classical term in Genesis is original sin, but I so much prefer original insecurity. Because <laughs> they were, Adam and Eve, they're, they're insecure right from the beginning. They're really not self-sufficient at all. The difference between Adam and Eve and Jesus is, is that Adam and Eve try and fill the gap, the hole, the want, the need. I need this to be complete. I need this to fill my hunger. I need this to fill my desire, my need. Whereas Jesus, in his temptation, refused to fill the gap, except through his relationship with God. Because it's like Jesus sees through the lies and says, you know what, I could, I could turn. I could turn the stones into bread, but I know it's not going to be enough. It's just an illusion. It's not going to be enough for me. I could have all the bread in the world. It's not going to be enough. Yeah, original insecurity. It's a great, great line, great phrase, isn't it? From the beginning, people have been and are incomplete and insufficient and insecure. And I wonder if much of the time, like Adam and Eve, we get caught up in, I know what's best and I, and I can do this my own way. So Eve makes a grab for the fruit on the tree that she's told to leave alone. You know, why? Is she frightened that she's going to miss out on something good? Is she scared that maybe God's, you know, it's like, well, maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe God isn't good. I mean, is that the, is that the plight of humanity? I'm not really sure that God's good. I think it can be. I think it can be that, um, I'm, I, I think that's a temptation. I'm, I'm not sure God's good. Because Jesus says, why, why would God hold out on you? Why would God do that? If you want something, ask. Why would a God who loves you deliberately withhold something from you? Why would you blame everything wrong in the world and in your life on a God who loves you? That was Jesus' question. It seems like insecurity and fear can powerfully influence and lead us as well as desire, as well as needs, as various various kinds of wants, and rather than trust. Because I think trust acknowledges the need. It, trust acknowledges the, the, the God-spaced gap, 
that Pascal spoke of, the want, the emptiness, was it Augustine, St. Augustine, the restlessness in our hearts, the longing until my heart finds rest in you, St. Augustus. It's like before we make the big decision, before we begin something new, before we have the conversation, what is leading me? Who is leading me? Because if it's fear, it's going to lead us in the wrong path. How many people have entered marriages or partnerships led by loneliness rather than, you know, steadily, quietly trusting God that in time God would bring the right one? How many people have chosen employment or careers or business ventures or investment strategies, you know, major decisions that impact years of your life and God's an afterthought rather than first. I think that's a temptation. We can waste years and years putting time and energy into someone or something that we've never been called to do. Finding direction or waiting, waiting for direction, um, leading, it has to be more than our emotional responses, don't you think? We need something more solid. We need something more solid to lead us in life than our reactions. And these desert experiences, these times of testing, ultimately show us who or what we depend on. Desert experiences. Actually, they can, they can set us back on track because they can remind us of what is important. It's like this week, you know, we're all concerned about COVID-19 and we're hearing about it all the time. And after we've taken all the necessary precautions, what is the next step? The next step is trust. It's like every other desert experience that we go through. And there's many of them. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen next month. But I do know, God, that you hold tomorrow. Yeah, there's the heart cry. Thank you that in every desert, you are there. Leading and guiding and helping me, giving me wisdom, giving me strength, everything I need. What a promise. Well, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again next week for another episode.